Hey everybody, you're listening to Dead Ideas, the podcast of extinct thoughts and practices. Today's dead idea, serfdom, the legal condition of being tied to the land you live on. See our previous episodes in this series on that. We are on episode three now. We are exploring life on a Russian surf commune. See the previous episode for lots of explanation on that. And we're doing it as a role-playing game, which we will continue right now. That's what we're talking about today on... Dead Ideas. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. The music we just heard was created by Rachel Westhoff, my lovely wife, who, in times of exasperation, has been known to exclaim at me why you stuck up, half-witted, scruffy-looking surf herder. Oh. <laughs> Star Wars reference. <laughs> Who's scruffy looking? <laughs> Who's scruffy Who looking? scruffy looking? <laughs> I'm BT Newberg. You can call me Brandon. Joining me today again are my co-hosts, Anna. Not the host you're looking for. <laughs> and Nick. Hey. <laughs> yeah, that that's what you say when the stormtroopers come looking for you. Yep. Yep. <laughs> hey. Nah. So before we actually get to it. We have one chore that, that we have to do. Every series, uh, we do a plug for a fake sponsor for a local beer. And by fake sponsor, we mean we have no legal relationship with this brewery. Actually, uh, in this they... particular instance, this is not true. <laughs> usually, usually <laughs> it is a completely fake sponsor. And we don't get any money from it. And we're still not getting any money from it. But this time, the local brewery is... It comes from a cabinet underneath the sort of built-in hutch in our kitchen where we keep our plates. It's a dark and cool place, and it's in No, it's not. A it's a dark and warm place. The water pipes go right back there. Seriously, <laughs> so it's this... always piping hot. Okay, yeah, just kind of warm. That's why you also, put all the fermented Yeah, there are occasionally, there. yeah, little bottles of... So what we have pickles. today is actually home-brewed beer brewed by our very own Nick and Anna. All right, I'm going to open it up. This is the Milk Stout. Chocolate, Chocolate Milk, milk Stout. stout. Okay. Coke. No, beer. We just have to graduate to other forms of alcohol. Mm. This is actually better than a lot of the milk stouts that I've had. Yeah, that's actually really not that bad. <laughs> not nice. that bad. I normally don't even like no, milk stouts. I'm the same. I'm not a chocolate milk stout fan. Yeah. I would. So anyway, uh, last time we heard a lot about how uh, the Russian surf commune worked, and we met our two characters. Can you introduce them once again? Nick, your character is... I'm Yvonne the Fool. Yvonne the Fool, who is a grunt, as we're calling it, basically a village serf who works in the fields, mm -hmm. and is a little lazy, as I recall. Just because I get along extra well with the domovoy, and we like to hang out behind the stove <laughs> in an afternoon, does not make me lazy. <laughs> the domovoy being the uh, household spirit that is believed to live behind the stove, and usually talks only to the household head, but it apparently is talking to Yvonne as well. All the time. Okay. And, Anna, your character? Uh, Zenya, who is the higher-up surf who's an enforcer and inspector and generally tries to keep louts like Yvonne in check. Yes, a Sotsky. Sotsky. Yeah, which means hundredth, because a Sotsky is in charge of uh, enforcing discipline over 100 households on the estate. Yeah. Uh, and... The scene that we had last time, it is March of 1834. Oh, so midwinter. 
For Russia, yeah. Yeah. No, no. Well, we're recording this in Minnesota. It's yeah. pretty much the same. There's still snow in March, for sure, in Minnesota. And I'm sure it would be the same in Russia. So anyway, it has been a horrible winter. Normally, serfs are actually fed fairly well, better than peasants in Western Europe. But this has been the year of a crop failure. And so everybody is starving. Everybody is hungry. And in the last scene, you were presented with an opportunity... For chicken. To, <laughs> to go to a lone hut in the woods who, or where you were told by a certain Ilya Agapov that the inhabitants had been carried off by illness and you could just go and get the food left over. But it turned out that, nope, the inhabitants were very much there. And just when, they have, when the lone inhabitant, an old man, came and found you and shouted, Thieves, Thieves, Ilya and Nick's character, Ivan, made off with two horses. Meanwhile, Zinia, Anna's character, stayed behind and talked to the old man and ratted out Ivan and Ilya. Uh, I did not him. rat out, I reported. Reported, yes. Meanwhile... I prefer to call it cockroached out. <laughs> meanwhile, Ivan and Ilya beat cheeks on the horses back to the village of Petrovsky, which is mm -hmm. Ivan's village, and uh, convinced the local elders to collude with them in order to share in the horse meat to feed the villagers. But they're going to hide the fact that you stole them, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Did I miss anything? No, I think that's it. All right. So now, as we pick up the story, we're going to have a few other scenes and challenges, but the very first thing that I am going to allow here is Zinnia is going to get the chance to investigate and see if she can find what came of Ilya and Ivan, the two horse thieves. Well, I know you live in the village, Ivan, and I know you're stupid, and I know that horses leave tracks, and I know there's snow. And I know that probably as a result of the scarce conditions, there aren't a lot of horses around. But on the other hand, the fact that it seems to have disappeared indicates that other people are involved. Hmm. What other, what higher authorities would I have the right to go to? I mean, I know I'm the, the hundredths. What was it? You, term? yeah, you would, re Sotsky is the term. Um, so you would, I'm guessing you would report to probably like the bailiff which is sort of like a commune manager or a state manager and i'm a little foggy on who was quite in charge of what the estate would have various administrative um, positions including bailiff which according to some of my sources is the same as the burmeester and sometimes it's different from the burmeester depending on which book i'm reading um, there's the steward there's the obrok collector, kind of like a tax collector, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, a number of others. So I'm a little bit vague on how it actually all hangs together. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to say that you report to the bailiff, who I will say is currently touring the estate and in a different village, trying to assess the current situation of the serfs after the trying winter. Mm. We have the testimony of the old man that you stole from in the woods that he's missing two horses and a chicken. But then I was assuming it was Grandfather Frost. Well, you really don't want to steal from him. I'm a brave fellow. 
Yeah, I would guess that your testimony as the Sotsky would probably be enough. If you have one more person to corroborate your story, you could just take that straight to the bailiff. The fact is just the problem is that the bailiff's not here right now. You'll have to go through the channels. I guess I go through the channels. Okay. So you send word to the bailiff then. Mm -hmm. I'll say you won't go yourself because otherwise you'll miss the whole scene here. But, mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Meanwhile, Yvonne, you and Ilya are now being harbored by the uh, council elders. Mm -hmm. They have come up with a story for why you have these horses. So you're just being put right out in the open because they want to make it look like you haven't done anything yeah, wrong. That would have been my They're not too. like hiding you like a you know, secret cabinet kind of thing yeah. or something. Yeah. All right. Now... So I'm going to start now, the next scene, the draft. Okay. This is where uh, it's now time for the village to decide who will be drafted into the military. Uh, and remember, as we heard in part one, going into the military, although it was seen as one way that you could sort of escape a life of serfdom, it was also basically seen as a death sentence. Your term in the military was 25 years, and you probably would never come back to your village, you'd probably never see your family again, and very few people ever made it through 25 years, actually. You're probably likely to die in, yeah. in the army somewhere. Would you be fed and quartered and all that stuff, or would you be responsible for bringing your own equipment? I don't I don't know. That's an interesting question. I don't know. I don't know what the case was. I but think anyway, you'd be fed. Well, okay, yeah. Let me rephrase that. You Would you have to cough up for a uniform or for provisions? Well... Yeah. At the time in the 19th century, European countries were really big about making grand, awesome uniforms for their soldiers. So I imagine yeah, but, Europe provided a uniform. But at, in the rest, in the 19th century, most um, places didn't have serfdom either. I'm well, just that's saying. true. <laughs> I don't know. So I don't know what this is. Yeah, I don't think it was there. like civil war mm. necessarily so much. But in any case, a peculiar aspect of the conscription was that the government didn't just decide who was going. They let the commune decide who they were going to send on conscription. And the commune would, would, it would be decided by the village elders in secret. And they would typically first send all the people throughout, that, throughout the year have gotten into trouble, basically. They want to get rid of the troublemakers first. And only if they ran out of troublemakers to send would they then kind of decide from among the remaining young men. Right. Only young men, form by the way. Social control. Yeah, exactly. Shape up or yeah. ship out, literally. Yeah. I'm going to describe what it looks like when you head back to Petrovsky village. You would have done this under cover of darkness last night. Mm -hmm. You probably maybe would be coming back more like dawn, heading back, formulating your plan of how you're going to report to the bailiff and what you're going to do to, to get Ivan and Ilya. So walking home along the Varuna River, you start to see the long, straight strips of land that are the fields worked by the Petrovske villagers. Traditionally, these strips of land would be 560 feet long or 170 meters, which is supposedly the length that a horse can plow without resting. Hmm. Hmm. So you would go that length, the, the horse would rest, and then you would turn around, go back. That's why it's a long strip of land. Uh, some of the fields are manorial plots belonging to the Gagarins, which you have to farm three days a week, while the rest is your land with air courts around it, 
which you work the other three days of the week. Actually, it's owned by the Gagarins, and you just have the right to kind of consume the produce from that land, whereas the produce from the manorial lands goes straight to the Gagarins. Well, you have to work both of them. And then you rest on Sunday. Periodically, uh, your quote-unquote land is redistributed among the work teams of the commune. A work team is called a tiagla, and it's comprised of one husband and one wife. And each tiagla in Petroske gets 13.5 acres plus about three acres of hayfield. Hmm. Uh, redistributing the land ensures that everyone basically works at capacity. Nobody gets overworked or underworked and productivity stays up. Because either, even if you give them too much land and they're overworked, then productivity will also go yeah. down, right? Yeah. Because you're exhausted. Past the long fields, you finally come upon the village proper. There is a frost over the many surf huts in the village. Despite their generally dilapidated condition, most of the huts feature an ornately decorated window on their litzo, or face, which is mm -hmm. the side that's facing the road. Some are well-to-do enough to have a second hut connected to the first, positioned on the other side of the storage area, the sen, that we heard last time. So it's like a double wide. Kind of, yeah. So there's like the storage area in the middle, and then a hut on either end in this style, as I understand mm -hmm. it kind of inferring a little bit from how it's described in my actual sources, which would be um, Hoke's book. Yeah. The second hut is called a clean hut because it has a chimney. But this time of year, which is still winter at this point, everyone will still all be huddling in the chimneyless hut because it's easier to heat and because actually the straw, which is used for fuel for the fire, for the stove, tends to go up the chimney flue and then kind of settle back down onto the thatched roof, which, of course, is not a good combination. Right. <laughs> yeah, so generally in the winter, even if you have a clean hut, you would be in the stinky, smoky, you know, animal shit-filled... The cozy hut. Yeah, cozy hut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rising above the roofs of the huts is the church. Your village is only one of two on the estate that has its own church. However, the church is in a sorry state. The icons are long since faded. The bell tower has no bell. These are actual features from the real Petroski, uh -huh. by the way. And the fence around the church has fallen down. Two years ago, the local parish actually ordered the church sealed up due to disrepair, but reconsidered when you and the other villagers protested and gave them a gift of 10 rubles. Is that enough to patch it up? Probably not. I, I'm guessing no, but, you know, it's enough to grease the wheels, I would say. You also have a new priest recently. The old one, a certain Alexei Polikarpov, was only replaced after the village filed 66 pages of grievances against him for charging too much for religious rites. 66 pages? <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> yeah, the that's a real thing. that no one's burying the dead. Yeah. There's also, a, <laughs> there's also a communal granary, but it is nearly empty by this point because you've been eating it to feed yourselves over the winter. Now your supplies are exhausted. Some villages also have a commune, cooperative, or a village bank, but yours has neither. One thing you do have, though, is a dark and garishly new building, the hospital. I hate it. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> it was built just over a decade ago in 1821 and is maintained at the expense of Prince Gagarin, your landlord, supposedly as a progressive gesture to improve your lives, but you and the other serfs 
are deeply suspicious of it. Told you I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) The doctor is an outsider, and the practice of medicine does not have a good reputation among serfs. They say that you are as likely to be killed by a doctor as to be healed by him. And instead, you tend to place your faith in various quacks that come through, or just like basically prayer. Does this doctor have a bird mask? (laughs) Not that kind of doctor. (sighs) The Petroske doctor once wrote to the landlord, Prince Gagarin, your peasants flee from the hospital like a Jew from the cross. Eep. Actual quote. (laughs) Throughout the morning, the starosta, or elders, elected from the household heads of all the villages on the estate, begin to gather. They're going to have Mm. to decide the draft today, so they're coming in. By midday, a huge throng has gathered, including onlookers. Young men casting their eyes nervously about, because they very well might be drafted. Right. And mothers with eyes red with worry for their darling sons. Meanwhile, the Sotskis, or enforcers of discipline, one of which is Xenia, mm-hmm. surround the assembly with grim expressions. And you are called to duty here to make sure that none of the young men run away. In fact... You are given a special task, Zinnia, who's still grimacing, gr- mm-hmm. menacingly, grimming, grinning, menacingly. I like to grin. Neither that. Grinning. <laughs> You're menacing. <laughs> you, Zinnia, are actually given a special task, which is to bring the wagon of leg irons. <gasps> Wait, are we straight up chaining people to send them off to war? You are. Hot damn. You are charged with bringing the wagon of 35 leg irons, all of which will be filled by the end of the day. 35? Yes. Wow. And just there's, even if there's no voluntary, there is no voluntary aspect of this, is there? What? You can volunteer for it, but generally nobody did. Yeah, I think they'll be put, chained up either way. Mm. Yeah. Which is fair, because if I. And do volunteer, as I'm thinking about doing, it would only be so I could run away later. Hmm. The elders meet in secret to decide on the 35 names. They are behind closed doors for what feels like ages. Then, finally, the door opens, and they come out with a list. So they don't release little puffs of white or gray smoke? (laughs) That's for deciding the Pope. (laughs) Which is not not even the church they belong to. This is Eastern Orthodox here, of course, right? Although, to be fair, they would have called the local parish priest the Pope, so... Oh, well, okay. Fair enough. And they did just pick a new one. (laughs) So anyway, one by one, they read off the names, and one by one, Xenia, you bring out the leg irons and clamp them on the legs they find. It's the high point of your year. Yeah, basically. (laughs) The names continue one after another, and mothers wail as if at a funeral. They actually do. In times like this, right. they will uh, sing the same kind of lamentations that they do at a funeral. And strangely enough, they also do that at weddings. Well, <laughs> Russians do a lot of lamenting, traditionally. Yeah. He's <laughs> uh, happy, he's sad, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, they draft 35 young men. When the last name is read out, you hear a thud and a very different kind of wail, a cry of intense pain. The crowd parts and you see a young man holding up a hand with a spurt of bright scarlet blood where his index finger should be. Mm, So did he make himself ineligible? Indeed he did. How? His hatchet is buried in an oak stump, 
his severed finger next to it. Wait, his index finger? Yes. How's he going to point at things? <laughs> He's got another one. That's his trigger finger. The boy looks giddy, then goes white and passes out from the shock. All of the elders grumble at this. The government conscription teams will not accept a main recruit, and they are now one draftee short of quota. Hmm. Then the elders do something very unusual. They open the discussion up to the public. Several candidates remain that had escaped conscription until now. One must be chosen from among them. They will conscript the one whom popular opinion selects. So I'm actually going to let you guys hear the candidates and debate amongst yourselves and decide how you vote. Okay. 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 So you must choose one. There's only one spot left, right? Okay. First is, of course, Yvonne. Because Yvonne was... Everybody knows that he was caught stealing horses, but everybody's keeping it a secret for now. But this is now an opportunity to wash their hands of the whole thing. Wash their huh? hands of the whole thing. Right? So you're dependent on the loyalty of these people. I am. Yes. And then, of course, there's Ilya. Same situation. Mm-hmm. Well, he's not okay. technically from this village anymore, right? He's in Kunin, right? He's in this village. Right. But, oh. but you're kind of like the capital, sort of, of Petrovsky estate. Okay. So, like, all of it is being decided at once, and okay. it's 35 for the whole estate with all its six to eight villages. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, so far, we've got Ivan. We've got Ilya. Okay. Mm-hmm. The other possibilities are Yuri, who is 21 years old. He was caught stealing grain from the village storehouses, has a wife and a newborn baby in danger of starvation. Okay? Mm-hmm. Next candidate, Vasily. 35 years old, head of his household, but he divided his household without the estate's permission. Oh. Now, why is that? A, first of all, what is dividing your household? That means your family, basically, has split into two different families with now two different heads of household. Which means you get twice as many fields. Not necessarily, because the fields are actually divided among husband-wife work teams. Mm -hmm. So you would be also dividing the number of work teams. So it's the same amount of land, but why is it important about um, dividing households? So dividing households is looked upon unfavorably because it can leave smaller households in uh, an economically precarious uh, position. Because if you don't have enough work teams, if you have just, like say, one or two work teams in your household, then you're liable to fall into dependency, and who has to make up the shortfall? The rest of the commune. Right. When they have to pay the, you know, send off the goods or whatever that's owed to the landlord, uh, because the landlord is just going to be like, hey, no, whatever you, this is the amount of money that you guys owe. I don't care how you get it, just get me my money. So it's mostly taking on only what you can actually take on again. Right. Not overworking. Yeah. Also, dividing the household can be a means of avoiding draft because larger households were commonly made to carry more of the draft burden because they would suffer less economically because they could stand to have lose one laborer, whereas a smaller household would be devastated by losing sure. one laborer. Yeah. So it's kind of a big deal. So that was Vasily. And the last candidate is Mikhail, 17 years old. 
He lost his family and home to fire during the winter, and is now the sole remaining. <laughs> and is now the sole remaining survivor of his household. Very suspicious. So again, in a very precarious household position, he is currently completely dependent on the commune for support, and the commune's resources are already scant, obviously, from the very harsh winter. Well, he seems like the obvious choice. Okay, so just to review. You've got Yvonne and Ilya are both candidates for stealing horses mm -hmm. and trying to hide it, basically. Then you've got Yuri, who's young, caught stealing grain from the village store horses, probably to feed his newborn baby. Mm -hmm. You've got Vasily, 35, head of household, but divided his household without permission. And you've got Mikhail, 17, lost his family and home due to fire and is now dependent on the commune. Well, Vasily's not a good choice, because if we send him off to war, then, then that's two households that have lost their, basically their head. And even if he's an ass, that's going to end up being us being the rest of us trying to work harder to provide. It's just going to deepen the problem he's already started. He, there might be others in his household who could take over for him, but they might not have the experience that he does. Exactly. So. I mean, yeah. He's an ass and he shouldn't have done it, but it's just going to end up endlessly complicating things. So my original plan had been to try and persuade Yuri to volunteer, telling him about how great the horse-thieving life was if he ran away and joined the Cossacks. Is Yuri the one who's worrying about his child and... Yeah. Oh, not Yuri. Sorry. Um, Ilya. Oh, your accomplice? I was going to try and persuade my accomplice to volunteer. Okay. Telling him on stories of how he could run away, join the Cossacks, and steal horses to his heart's content, uh -huh. so that I could then just get the share of the mare that we were going to split. Ilya says, are you kidding? All I wanted was food and maybe a little coin out of this. But it really does seem like Mihail's the obvious choice. Yeah, the commune's just going to end up trying to support him, and he doesn't. he's not marriageable yet, I'm guessing, at 17, right? Uh, he's getting very close. I mean, he is marriageable. But he's uh, not going to... Oh, Start at 15, basically. It's okay to marry. Most people will get married around 19. But is he going to really bring anything? I mean, obviously, if he gets married, then they start a new household, but he's probably only got what his family left behind. And he is being actively supported by yeah. the commune right now. So he's not exactly a prospect. If well, anyone's going to be actively supported, I want it to be me. Well, he seems like an obvious candidate for yeah. shipping off, like you said. Okay. Yeah, I really think he is. We can't do that to what's-his-face Yuri, because he's only doing it to support his newborn and his wife. I mean, it's not great, but All right. it's understandable. Anyway, you guys are agreed, then? And if yeah. we send him off, then we have to feed that kid and yeah. the wife. Yeah, we are agreed. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, okay, so you guys kind of stand up and like make a speech and try to persuade the crowd over? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, which one of you wants to make the speech? I think that falls to me. Yeah. Okay. Since you have a little bit of authority, I'm going to give you advantage on it, which means that when we do the rock, paper, raven, which mm -hmm. is basically rock, paper, scissors, right? If the, if we have a tie, you're going to win. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Ready? Yep. Rock, paper, raven, two. Ooh. Oh, Hot you damn. lost. How did I lose that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, rock, shoes, raven. So, uh, yep. Nope. The crowd is not persuaded. They they take pity on Mikhail and say, no, he lost, his, his, tragedy has befallen him, let not another tragedy. He'll be uh, fed, he'll learn a trade, <laughs> and he'll get out at what, 41? 
<laughs> yeah. No, anything you want to do to yeah, intervene not... here? Because uh, temperament of the crowd seems to be leaning in favor of the horse thieves, because horse thievery was one of the worst things that you could do on a surf commune. All right, I'm going to try and spread around that if they are going to send one of the horse thieves, uh-huh. they should send the one who's not even part of this village because we're basically supporting him and he's not part of a work team at all. The people there from Cannon Village, where Ilya is from, say, Why are you singling us out? Unfair! Great, you started a riot. Good work. Because <laughs> you're a smaller village and we'll outvote you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'd say you just failed your speech there. <laughs> I, I wasn't giving a speech. I was trying to whispered this in the ears of people in well, the crowd. Well, it, it makes its way yeah. around, and now the, the opinion of the crowd is now unanimous. They're sending you. Okay. You just lost. Okay. So, so Yvonne's getting sent off? Uh, Yvonne, work? yep, is, is now getting sent off for pissing off the Kanan villagers, I think, yep, and and stealing horses. Well, I want, I want if I can't get Mikhail sent off, I want Ilya sent then. Well, the Conan villages are not going to stand for it because they're, he's at least one of their own, but now there's this guy. And it's hard for the village elders to defend against that. Well, they, basically, their hands are tied and they make their decision. Oh, <laughs> aren't there more Petrovsky villagers? Well, it's a larger village. Yes, there. Yeah, there's more population and there's people in Petrovsky there that can defend you. But after a speech like that, where you just basically turned <laughs> part of the crowd against you, no, I'm calling it. Okay. No. <laughs> That's a failure. So we basically get to keep the established horse thief that we know will probably do it again, but his one-time idiot companion who was talked into it is getting shipped off. I think we're punishing the wrong person. <laughs> well... But I guess you like it. Your, your horses disappear. Your wisdom falls on deaf ears. As always. Yeah. Okay. Sotsky, Zinnia, it falls upon you to clamp the leg irons upon our last recruit here. <sighs> Crime and punishment. <laughs> yeah, don't you wave at me. I hope you like that chicken. You're not going to get a lot of chicken in the army. <laughs> Maybe you will. I don't know. Yeah, I think I might. You might get some... Ch- you're probably going to eat better. Fuck you. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so she clamps the leg irons on you. And now, basically, this is the whole village admitting your guilt as a horse thief. So, in addition, you're also flogged with the knout, and half of your head and beard is shaved off, which is considered to be an even worse punishment than getting flogged, because this is a sign of shame and humiliation. Sure. And when it grows in, you look like DJ Skrillex. Yeah. Which <laughs> is the worst part of it all. It really is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then you are carted off. So, um, I know you have a plot, so shall we resolve that at this point? My so, plot was just to run away. Yeah, exactly. So let's say that the village, that the, the wagon leaves the village, okay. goes as, as far as you want, gets off into the steppe land and everything, um, is heading off kind of in the Cossacks region. Okay. Let's do one last Rock, Paper, Raven test to see if you are able to escape and join the Cossacks. All right. All right, so this is going to be a straight-up one, no advantage or disadvantage. Here we go. Rock, paper, raven, shoot. Yeah, you yeah. you succeed. Yep, you manage just, just when we are, uh, the people who are uh, driving the wagon are off taking a piss in the weeds, uh, you manage to uh, get your leg iron off using... Uh, I don't know, like a... <laughs> That's the sound of a surf breaking from the chain. Yeah, <laughs> You use, use some bit of metal from like a buckle or something, 
and manage to get the not very well made leg irons off and you run off into the scrappy woodland of the steppe and manage to join up with a group of Cossacks and you live out the rest of your life as basically a bandolier. Nothing but drunkenness and horse thieving from here on out. Um, As a point of stickler accuracy, I'm Uh wondering if that was still really possible in 1832. To what? To To run away and join the Cossacks like that. I know... Yeah. Again, by the Tolstoy novel I was reading, which was set not too much later in the 1850s, mm-hmm. Cossacks were registered by the state. There was there were a lot of uh, okay. So, so what you actually I know... had to fill out paperwork to join. Okay, and they do background checks and yes. Okay, so here's what I know of: there are there were different bands of Cossacks. Some of them basically joined the state and kind of act like a, almost like a special police sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them became basically like landlords and settled along the regions where they lived, which then became developed. Selling but out. Were, but there were many others. Who... No, as you'll find out, that was only the ladies. The women, the men still spent all their time getting drunk. Oh, that yeah. sounds fun. But there were many others who were in, like, the Caucasus area who were, were very much still living the uh, the Cossack life, which is basically like, you know, the Wild West, pretty much. So Yeah, and the novel, it's a weird combination of both. They're mm. both very much settlers and still being yeah, totally Wild exactly. West. Actually, but you needed to do paperwork to join. Well, we'll say in, so, in your case, you join the, I find some... the Wild Westy ones. Yay! Yeah. Okay. Meanwhile, by the way, just to conclude the little bit about your investigation and the bailiff, mm-hmm. you eventually get word to the bailiff. The bailiff comes back and says, "Yes, um, you know, arrest the last, you know, the guilty parties and whatnot, and bring me, you know, bring them in for f- questioning and flogging and whatnot." And uh, it's difficult for the village to defend Ilya at that point. It would be up to you whether you want to sweep this under the rug for Ilya, or whether you bring Ilya to justice. What do you think? I'm bringing him to justice, because he's right. obviously done the horse thief thing before, and he's led into the corruption of a stupid boy. All right, very much. Who is now a Cossack, nice. who would not be if not for his intervention. Very nice. And Yvonne's poor moral fiber. Yeah. Also, by way of epilogue of the draft scene, there really was a draft in Petrovsk in 1834, which sent off 35 young men. And I'm guessing someone really chopped his finger off with a hatchet. Actually, that part, no, okay. I added that. But that was a typical thing that they would do. Sure. Yes. And from then on, whenever it was draft day, we made sure we hit the hatchets. <laughs> Hide the hatchets. No, but we do have a document of the reasons that were listed for sending off the 35 recruits. Hmm. And many of them had more than one reason, so the list here is a little bit longer than it should be for 35 people, but that's because some of them had more than one crime. So, uh, theft of estate property, 14 recruits were Mm -hmm. sent off for that. Theft of peasant property, 9 recruits. Lazy and remiss in household responsibilities, 3 recruits. Lazy and remiss in household responsibilities resulting in destitution, 1 recruit. Committed various pranks. Three recruits. <laughs> Interesting. Mm. So dying the dog was not really a good idea. Probably not. <laughs> Poverty. Two recruits. Disobedient toward the head of household. One recruit. Flight, meaning running away from the estate. One recruit. Father a thief. So in other words, your, oh, father, your father was is a thief. A thief yes. So you're not to be trusted. Exactly. Yeah. One recruit. Divided household without state permission. Four recruits. Hmm. Negligent with fire, two recruits. Hmm. And finally, disobedient toward estate manager, 
one recruit. So theft of, of estate or other peasant stuff is really sort of far and away the biggest problem, it sounds like. Yeah, but dividing a household is bigger than yeah. pranks. Yeah. So what pranks were these? Seriously. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That part's not given. <laughs> um, also, I should say that turning the vote over to the public was a bit of poetic license on my part. What was more l- typical to be done at the point where you run out of people who are, you know, have offenses as reasons to send them off as army recruits, you would then decide by lot among all the young men that are left over. Hmm. So. Wow. Yeah. Arbitrary. Yeah. But in a way, fair, at least. Yeah. Okay. So. All right. So we have one more scene, one more challenge to do. And since you're out of the story now, I'm going to have you make one, a new character. Okay. Okay. So no more Yvonne. Yvonne is making a becoming famous slash infamous off in the Caucasus right now. Eventually, word of you might filter back to the village of Petrovsky. But for now, I'll have you think up a new character. And this uh, final scene will be a wedding negotiation. All right. And I'm going to be Alexander, the head of the household. Okay. Very nice. So you have an advantage in basically commanding, pulling, pulling rank, basically. You have respect in the village as a head of household, and you definitely are able to boss around the others in your household. Like a despot, basically. Left me some despotism. All right, so it's Alexander? Yes. Alexander. Okay. All right. Okay, so first I'm going to give a little background on surf marriage, and then your characters are going to get to negotiate a marriage contract. Okay? All right. The spring thaw arrives, and with it, muddy roads and marriage bells. (laughs) (laughs) This is a particularly busy spring for the matchmaker, as those lost to starvation and the draft have left behind families low on labor and widows all too rich in lands. Mm. Mm-hmm. Families want to secure engagements before the upcoming land repartition, which is the process where the commune redistributes the land among the different um, tiaglas, the husband-wife work teams. Oh, so mm-hmm. that's so that a everybody good has the yeah. Mm-hmm. Marrying off your bachelor son means a new wife, a new wife means a new work team, and a new work team means more land in the repartition, and thus more income for the household. Meanwhile, marrying off your bachelorette daughter means one less mouth to feed, and also a substantial bride price called a kladka. Yes, so very romantic already, huh? Sounds like a reality show in the making. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Surf Bachelor and Bachelorette. I'm sorry that he's doing it for the wrong reasons. (laughs) So in other words, from the perspective of the household, securing a marriage is an important economic move. A marriage is also good from the perspective of the estate, meaning the landlord and all his subsidiaries. The most important means of maximizing production is maximizing the number of husband-wife work teams. The challenge is balancing the amount of land proportioned out to each team. If you do too much land, it overworks the team, so they suffer in productivity. Um, And if you, of course, give them too little land, they're not producing as much as they could. So again, drop in productivity. The land must be repartitioned frequently in response to the changing number of work teams then. And there's another reason for the estate to want frequent land repartition, which can be seen from areas in actual history where it was not repartitioned frequently. This is what tended to happen. In such areas, families with more land became wealthier and economic stratification started to take over. So you got kind of a divide between, you know, 
the wealthy and rich the peasants and poor yep. peasants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And soon status placement became more important as a motivator to marry than labor capacity. Mm-hmm. And this led to waiting longer before marrying because the older you were, the more kind of attractive you were in terms of status and capital you had to offer so you could get a higher status spouse. Sure. Mm-hmm. And as a result, from waiting to marry, you lost all those years that you could have been in a productive in a work team. Work team. Yeah. Yes. So from the perspective of the estate, you also want um, everybody to get married young. So most people would marry around the age of 19 or so. And in fact, there was a certain Count Orlov in 1796 who even imposed a fine on unmarried women over 20 and men over 25 set at 25 to 50 rubles or corporal punishment if you're too poor to pay the fine. And that's kind of a lot of money. It was, actually. That that could be like an annual income. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, your landlord wants you to marry young. Uh, Okay, back to the family's perspective now. What do families look for in a prospective bride? Any speculation? Good looks and charm, perhaps? I'm just remembering that whole Grandfather Frost movie again. And it's just like, can you pluck a goose? Well, yeah, I'm guessing a lot of it is household management and crafting skills. How fast can you pluck and prepare a goose? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Doesn't backsass elements or anthropomorphic personifications of the elements? Well, you are on the right track. Basically, (laughs) women are valued as workhorses. Yeah. Yeah. You're valued primarily for your labor capacity that you bring to the family. So women work in the kitchen garden. They work in the hemp field. They rake the hay. And during harvest times, which are called stradnaya pora, or literally time of suffering. Yay! Women did a lot of the work for the harvest. The division of labor at harvest time basically broke down on what kind of tool you used. And the women used a sickle, and the men used a scythe. And what you could feasibly harvest using those tools kind of divided the labor between men and women. Sure. Uh, And while the men did bring in some of the spring cereals and hay with their sides, the problem was... Uh, They couldn't do that with most of the winter crops because the winter crops will get so ripe that when you try to use a scythe on it, um, the seeds would just drop off. Hmm. And so you'd lose a lot of the crop that way. So the women had to do most of the winter crop harvesting with their sickles. So it was the women that brought in the rye, the winter wheat, and sometimes the oats. And they also tied the grain into sheaves for drying. They carted off much of it from the field, sometimes assisted by the men if they uh, were free from their other chores. Um, The men plowed and sowed the crops, but women also did plenty, too. Like I said, they were basically workhorses. And with such a short growing season in Russia, it was basically five and a half to six months of the year is all you had for growing. It's very difficult to do uh, farm work alone. You need a a work partner. And that's basically what you were getting when you got a spouse. You were getting a work partner. So getting partnered up with a lazy wife and or a lazy husband really was... I mean, I was reading a short story where someone was continually complaining about how lazy their husband was. In this case, it would actually be exactly. You would not want Yvonne as your work partner. (laughs) Yeah, because it was either a sentence to destitution or yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, what do families look for in a prospective groom? Any ideas? Health. Sorry. (laughs) Health. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Anything else? Uh, well, I'm guessing charm is again not so much a. I guess worth work ethic is probably pretty high. Yeah, of course. Not being, yeah. yeah. 
Mainly what you're looking for is a substantial kladka, or bride price, which is basically compensation for the loss of the bride's labor from her family that she's born right, to. Right, because she joins the work team of the Exactly, of the groom's family, no. Because even though unmarried women didn't bring in land allotments, they were still another worker that you could have on your farm, so you lose something. Yeah. You want a good bride price in exchange for letting her go, and also for the investment of you know raising her and feeding her and paying for all her clothes and right. everything, you know. So... Widows also have an interesting kind of aspect to this. Widows are a special problem when it comes to marriage and land repartition because a widow is no longer part of a work team but still receives a widow's allotment of up to three acres, which is about hmm. a third of the normal Yeah, allotment. it was 13 or so normally. So is that enough uh, to... It, yeah, I saw like varying numbers and the average seemed to be around nine. Yeah, but it could be up to like 15. Okay. Yeah. I thought 13 was the number you threw out in one of the other episodes. But... Oh, man, I don't think so, but okay. whatever. Yeah. Good. Um, many widows refuse to remarry to avoid new Tiagla responsibilities. They would have to then join a work team. Right. Meanwhile, males, widowers, received a half Tiagla allotment, which was around four and a half acres on average, and they generally wanted to remarry so that they could obtain a full allotment right. and bring in that income. Yeah. So, all right, Nick and Anna, are you ready for this? We are. We're about to play The Love Connection. Uh, where would you take me for my first date? <laughs> I'd take you to the back of the Tiagla and I'd pull out my scythe. <gasps> wow. <laughs> back, back of the Itzba? The Izba would be your hut, maybe. No, I meant the back of the allotment. Oh. oh, so the, the Tiagla is the work team, and then you get an allotment. There's another word for allotment. Oh, I don't sorry. know what it is yeah. in Russian, but yeah. The back of the strip. <laughs> the back you, of the strip. You, lo so you lost me. The moment's gone. <laughs> so you're going to get down and dirty in the soil of the actual field. No, I was going to do some harvesting. <laughs> what were you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> I believe you, you meant plowing, right? Oh, never mind. <laughs> <sighs> okay. So, um, Zinnia... Hi. We already know from your character description that you are, in fact, a widow. Yeah, I am a widow. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yes, you are up for, you're an eligible bachelorette. I suppose, although, you know, if I get, a, if I rejoin a Tiagla, that's less time interfering in people's affairs, and I might lose my position, so to speak, that that's I have right. my you late husband. That's right. You might not get to be a Sotsky, an enforcer of discipline, anymore if you join the work team. Yeah. But there are plenty of bachelors and bachelors' households who are who trying to win your on. hand. Okay? True. So she is one of the eligibles. Uh, Alexander. Tell me about Alexander one more time. Uh, he's the head of a household. Oh, you're the head of a household. Yes. So you will be doing the negotiation exactly. for a, a son of yours, let's mm -hmm. say. That's what I was figuring. Yeah. Okay. Eligible bachelorette number one would be Xenia. You can try to woo her, uh, or rather negotiate with her household, rather, it would be more like it. Right. Because um, what she feels in the matter is really basically irrelevant. Eligible bachelorette number two, it would Although be... Although as a widow, isn't she her own household, essentially? Uh, no, because she's part of a larger than... Uh, a, a household is larger than just a household. Oh, she's her own, she has her own work team, or work allotment, but is still part of a larger household. Exactly, yes. She's part of a larger household. Which would be her father-in-law's, probably, or whoever's so. highest status I'd in there. I'd say so, yes, the in-laws. Yeah. yeah. So they're probably pressuring me to get married. Okay. 
So I'm going to give um, one more bachelorette for, for you to choose from. Okay. And I'm going to choose one bachelor for you to choose from. Mm. So basically, your choice is between Xenia and bachelorette number two. Your choice is between Alexander and bachelor well, number two. his son. Alexander's son yes. and bachelor number two. Okay. Do you want to uh, tell us about um, Alexander's son? He's a good lad. Anything else? How's his work ethic? He's a good lad. <laughs> How old? 19, 20, 21, somewhere in there. Who can keep track? Zinnia's in her 30s. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anything else you'd like to know about Alexander's son? He, he could use some discipline. Really? <laughs> in what capacity? <laughs> <laughs> Any capacity you care to imagine. Exactly. <laughs> Yay. Oh. All, right. All right, noted. Okay, so that was bachelor number 1 for you. I'm next I'm going to go to bachelor number 2. How does he now. feel about flogging? <laughs> bachelor number 2 mm-hmm. is a Scorpio Ooh. named Anton. Oh. He likes kvass and long walks on the estate fence. Mm-hmm. He is slight of build and unaccustomed to outdoor work. Hmm. and fond of cards. Hmm. His family already has five Tiaglas and consequently lots of land. It's a well-to-do family. How old's on Anton again? Anton is 18. God, okay. So I'm basically cradle robbing either way. Hmm? Yeah. Not that there's anything <clears throat> wrong. Well, this is how it goes, though. Great. Okay. <sighs> My Dimitri's a good, strong worker. He's not false. You just said that he was a good boy when I asked you about his uh, his prospects as a field worker. He's a good, strong worker. He's a good lad, as I said. Yeah, you, you seemed ambivalent on on the subject. It seemed more like you were attesting to his moral fiber and less of his work ethic. No, he's a drunkard. What do I care about his moral fiber? He's a good worker. He's drunk, but he's a good worker. Yes. How do you see an intrinsic he only contradiction? What else does he get up to at night? Does he get violent? Does he get... Is he a melancholy drunk? Does he just start punching walls? No, he's merry. He's a good lad. Uh, does he play a lot of annoying music and get hopelessly sentimental about Jimmy Buffett? <laughs> I have concerns. No, he's got a good, strong voice. Oh, brother. And a good, strong back. Okay, so who's your choice between Alexander's son and Could use the discipline. Anton? When you say that, I mean, like, he, okay, well, tell me tell me more about Anton's, does he have a good work ethic, but it sounds like he's a little sickly, maybe not built for the sort of rigorous work that's he's required? He's fond of cards. Yeah, that's what I'm worried about. Yeah, that's what they tell you about, well, that's what the rumor is about his work ethic. See, the thing is, is that, like, on one hand, rich family, a good bride price, and probably a lot of external support... On the bad side, if it turns out he's a gambler and he's not really a good worker and, you know, then I'm stuck with him probably for the rest of my natural life unless I get lucky. And get him drafted. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, frankly, that's... I could use up that good bride prize pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Dimitri's 19? Or 20 or 21, somewhere in there, as I said, who can keep track? Well, I mean, we have agricultural seasons you think we'd notice. Do I have kids from the previous marriage? That would be a good thing to know. Probably I do, but probably they're about getting ready to go off and form their own families pretty soon, too. Yeah, I'm I'm still feeling a little weird about possibly shacking up with somebody who's about the age of one of my kids. Mm -hmm. Um, I am going to go for Dimitri, or at least I'm going to try to angle for Dimitri. Dimitri. 
Oh, so that's that's my son. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, okay. because I don't know. Does Alexander seem like a bullshit artist? Do I get to roll um, to find out? Yeah. Okay. So you're right. Sotsky. You have All investigation, right. right? All right. Yeah. So I'm going to give you advantage, and you guys can okay. rock, paper raven. I win. So what do I determine? Is he a bullshit artist? No, just mean and stupid. Okay. He's sincere. <sighs> mean and stupid. All right. I will go with Dimitri then. What, right. what can they give me for a bride price, though? What is your family offering? What, sh- what are we talking about here? What's your land loan owning? I mean, you're the head of the family. What, what are you going to give me if this thing goes through? Ask my wife. <sighs> so basically, how we can just quickly resolve this. Why don't you do one more Rock, Paper, Raven, and whoever wins gets, like, it's, it goes in their favor in terms okay. of the amount that All you right. get. All right. Well, we've got a tie. Yeah, no no advantage or disadvantage here, so. Damn it. Okay, so you don't get quite as much bride price as you were hoping for. My wife tries a shrewd bargain. Yeah, Mm. turns out that they're, yeah, they're a little, he's kind of like Bush, like he kind of, he plays dumb, but he's not necessarily quite as dumb as he seems. (laughs) Bad business. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway. Wait, wasn't there another bachelorette? Yeah, 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 good point. Um, oh, yeah. So, you... Okay, so... I, I know she wants my kid. You made an offer. Maybe you made an better. offer, but you have someone better. Okay, very I'm good. Better. Oh, I damn. might have someone better. Let me find out. Okay. So, the other eligible bachelorette is... We'll call her Bacheloretta. Eligible bachelorette number two is Evgenia. Mm. Evgenia is a Libra. She is a hard worker, intelligent, good with management, but humorless. No sense of humor. It's very dour all the time. Um, her family suffered terribly from the winter and has only the most modest means and is willing to accept a low bride price to get them back on their feet. But on the other hand, not being in a very good economic position, their, their household might not make the greatest allies so to speak and you know because when you join marriages you're also kind of joining households in terms of alliances in some sense so in my favor i've been around this track once before i know the whole business of managing a household i was thinking that probably would come i can take your false dimitri and make him into a true dimitri (laughs) yeah that sounds good i'll go with i'll go with senia yeah all right, I'm hearing wedding bells. You are. Which is funny because I think you established that the church in this place doesn't have a bell. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> True. You're, you're, you're hearing idealized, oh, my abstract bells in your imagination. <laughs> yeah, tinnitus <laughs> from the war. <laughs> uh, okay. So, um, uh, you, also kind of, you already kind of did the, the negotiation, but here's how it would normally go. Normally, what you would do is you would send a matchmaker to the other household, mm-hmm. um, specifically from the groom's household to the woman's household, I believe. And um, that matchmaker could be someone in your household. It could be someone you trust. It could be a professional matchmaker. I don't know. But they greet the woman's family with the words, Unas est cupets a uvas tovarets. I'm sure with the best pronunciation there. But what it means is, we have a buyer and you have the goods. 
<laughs> well, <laughs> so that gives we got you the a... stuff. We got the money. If you got the stuff, yeah. show me what you got. Drop trow. Yeah, <laughs> drop crash. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So anyway, you've made that negotiation. Should I be worried that you took off your wedding ring while we're doing this? Fidgeting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you've set the terms orally, which is how it would really be done. But uh-huh. now you are to ritually bind the terms with the clapping of hands by the two heads of household. <laughs> Very good clapping. All right, all right. Enough. <laughs> this may or may not be sanctified by a priest. You guys can decide. Wait, really? Mm-hmm. Whoa, I thought that would have been required. Nope, not required. Really? So we can just actually shack up and it can be... Unhallowed. So I well, think it depends well, the on whether or not we want terms. to pay. Oh, oh okay. Mm-hmm. And but it would always be celebrated with heavy drinking. Okay. So your households are now getting royally wasted on vodka and whatever else. Kvass. Woman, so. bring me more vodka. <laughs> oh. She's not yours to order around yet. <laughs> I want to see how she. I want to see how she is at it. It's like a tryout. <laughs> How do you bring the vodka, or do you? I coquettishly get vodka, I sashay over, and then just as I'm lowering it in front of him, showing off my ample cleavage, I pour it in his lap. Ooh. Oh, a feisty one. I like you. Then I I deck you, but sensually. Sensually deck you in the face. Yeah, it's hella romantic. (laughs) Well, you are an enforcer. Brimming with erotic potential. (laughs) Do I have one or two huts? The relatives are speechless. Um, I'm feeling like you're ver- relatively well-to-do. I'll say two huts. All right, good. It would be slightly awkward to, um... Have your bondage sessions all in the same <laughs> chimneyless hut with everyone else? In, yeah, in front of my son, who's technically... <laughs> wait, wait, no, you're Dimitri. No, right, no, no I'm Alexander. Oh, wait, oh. Alexander's... Yeah, okay, sorry, some... I thought... No, bring daddy some vodka. <laughs> oh, okay. wait, wait, wait. How old is Alexander here, exactly? Are we contemporaries? Probably roughly, yeah. Fuck it, you don't get to call me... Ah, no, no, I'm not calling you daddy. <laughs> yes, you are. No, you're not. Yes, you no, are. No, Okay, technically we'll you see. can't... No. Technically you can't boss her around yet. I know, I, I wanted to see how she behaved. Exactly, yep. So I'm okay. going to have to do a lot of enforcing in this household. <laughs> All right, so, so, here's what, here's what would happen next. The customs leading up to the wedding ceremony are many and varied, and I'm sure that they are as vast differences by region and everything... Um, but there is one such uh, kind of whole series of, of ritual ceremonies and everything described in a surf autobiography by Nikolai Shipov, and mm-hmm. so we'll follow that. And three features of that, we can't go through all of them, but three features stand out. The first is the pie. Ooh. Prior to the wedding, there is a gathering of both families called uh, Zapoi, something like that, with a ritualized moment where a sweet pie is set out on the table and everyone sits around it in complete silence for several minutes. Just sitting there looking at the pie. You can hear the shifting of chairs. You can hear somebody's stomach rumbling. You can hear Alexander trying to muffle a fart. (laughs) This is just like when you make a mince pie and then you put it down and everybody stares at it. (laughs) (laughs) And then... Then, finally, someone says, where is the pie maker? And that is when the bride-to-be, Zinya, who, of course, baked the pie, is brought out dressed in all her glorious splendor. 
And then after that, there is a huge party with a midnight meal and festivities that last, in Chipov's case, till six in the morning. They know how to party. When does this marriage get consummated? Not yet. This is the, this is the betrothal. Okay. This is, marriage doesn't happen for a well, while yet. The betrothal was when you set the terms. Oh, and, okay. So this, and then is, this the actual... is like a we don't really have a good word for it in English because we don't have this custom, but it's the zapoi. Okay. Or zapoi. Where's the pie maker? All right. The second feature that stands out to me, at least, is the girls' evening. So now we get Head the night. Yes, the bachelorette party. Yeah. <laughs> oh, before that, I want to see whether uh, you made a good pie. Oh, I okay. I don't know. Shouldn't shouldn't your shouldn't your boy get to cut the pie? Shouldn't he get to see what's up in there? I'm the head of the household. <laughs> I bake the sweet thing for him. Do you want a rock paper raven? Everything raven you see do, if... everything you'll be doing from now on, you'll be doing for me. Really? I don't think that's how it works. Oh, I yeah, think I'm it was still a good an pie. enforcer. It was a good pie. All right. Yeah, yeah you All like right. my sweet stuff. She didn't forget how to do it. Okay, good. Yeah. If it was She's... bad pie, I would have gone with the other bachelorette. Man, man, he would have broken your contract. Yes. Ooh, uh, penalties okay. abound. <laughs> also, your horses die in the night. <laughs> anyway, the girls' evening is called the Devichnik, and uh, the bride's girlfriend sings songs of lamentation for her farewell. So here's the funeral songs, right. like I was mentioning. They unbraid her hair, representing the loss of her maidenhood. Uh, well, a bit late here. <laughs> and they give her one last steam bath. Hot damn. But this is not just any steam bath. Ooh. What is tossed on the stove to create the steam is not water, but in fact, beer brewed by the household of the groom. Mmm. Wait, I'm taking a beer bath. You're taking a, a beer, beer sauna. Is yes. this good for t- getting out toxins? <laughs> Is this clarifying? <laughs> I have an oily skin type. I don't know. Finally, the wedding night comes. All right. If we ever go back to your cabin and use the sauna again, I know what we're doing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my God. We're going to smell like Which is like where we recorded the, uh, the Anti-Witches yes. series at my grandparents' cabin. Yeah. And we did go in the sauna. Okay, so finally, there's the wedding ceremony, which is a, a priest presides over it and everything. No listeners, please rest assured we were not naked during the recording of any of these podcasts. <laughs> not during the recording. <laughs> Although, if you want to put a gash on us, I'm just saying, that might be worth... <laughs> That's a large Patreon account. Yeah. Yeah. Patreon. <laughs> Patreon For a substantial yeah. Patreon pledge, you can make us be naked on the podcast. <laughs> For better or worse. You'll know ooh. from the sound quality, there's a lot of awkward pauses. Well, yeah. more awkward. No, about the same. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. So the wedding night, right? After the ceremony and the wedding feast, the couple is led to their room and the bride removes the groom's boots. And there, in the boots, she just may find a gift of rubles left for her in one of the boots from the groom's household. So he's been walking around with these in his boots. Yeah, yeah you know, painful. keep money in your shoe. It's yeah. a... They did have uh, paper rubles uh, by this time. Mostly, I think, yeah. I don't know how common it was, but... Most of my reading has been somewhat late in this. I've only ever heard of paper rubles. Okay. I think, at least by like the 1860s to 1880s, paper money was universal. Okay. Anyway, then you and Dimitri are locked into the room together for the night, not to be freed till morning. Until finally they unlock the door and you are greeted by the pancake woman, which is another ritual role, who brings hot tea and cakes and you have breakfast together. 
Damn. Oh, yeah, I want a pancake. Yeah. <laughs> Out of character. I mean. Yeah, I mean the the. Don't get me wrong, Barb. Tony, the engaged the post wedding breakfast was nice, but a pancake yeah, woman actually just comes to your door. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's in short a Russian surf wedding, and the festivities conclude. All right, Dmitri, lie back and think of Mother Russia. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for this episode, for folks. Thanks for being on the show, Nick and Anna, once Thank again. You. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening, everybody. Did you like this uh, role-playing game style episode? Let us know. And do you have a dead idea that you'd like us to explore? And if so, we'd like to hear about it. So write us in at deadideaspod at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media at, at deadideaspod or on our website at www.deadideas.net. The website also has lots to explore Maps, references, photos, links for the series. And it's also just basically a beautiful uh, website with graphic design by Rachel Westhoff. Who knows her business. Who knows her business. Last but not least, be sure to support us on Patreon. Perhaps by putting the geisha on us. <laughs> Any kind of geisha you want, really. But we, we cannot, charge for it. We cannot wear clothes on the podcast. I was just assuming we were going to edit that out. <laughs> of course, what you don't know... I guess know... I'm the closing. We have to keep it. Yeah. The awkward pauses intensify because now none of our chairs are facing each other. Anyway, find that at www.patreon.com forward slash deadideaspod. To See be fair, next... we can just do it over Skype. Mm, yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we can weasel out of this. Oh, enough already. Okay, <laughs> see you next time, everybody. I'm B.T. Newberg, and this is Dead Ideas. Mm.